0: So if you have your Bibles, we want to be in Genesis 3. We're going to cover most of Genesis 3 and say the last four verses for Easter where we talk about redemption. Um, So so I want you to see um, this book, um, Genesis chapter 3, just to help you know, the first book of the Bible is Genesis. We're going to the third chapter of Genesis. Um, I'll have the the main points here, but I I won't have verses on the screen. I want you to see the verses in your Bibles to, know, to to know that everything that's being talked about is in the scriptures. So, we're going to pause and then kind of transition and just kind of say, Hey, I know most of us look on the internet and most of us pay attention to the news. And usually on TV, the, the brunt of it is like bad news, bad news, bad news. And then sometime your news channel may end with something positive at the end. But the reality is, if we look around the world, there is a lot of sickness and suffering, disease and death, and everything in between. We see and recognize brokenness in our own lives, in our own communities, and around the world. And there was a time that there was no evil. There was a time when there was no suffering, no sickness and death. This time lasted a grand total of... Seven days a week at the very beginning of the world. And it lasted how long? With people? Well, God created man on what? Day six. God rested. And that's day seven. And so chapter two of Genesis is a picture of day six expanded. Day seven, we know God rested. 24 hours. And now we're in chapter three. And so, there's not super clear how much time has passed, but we know at this point, this perfect world, this perfect paradise is going to come to an end. Um, things are going to change. And so, we see that man's going to sin against God, and then sin will enter in the world. Uh, and so, we'll have, in one sense, an answer, or the Genesis, as to where did evil come from? Where did death come from? Where did sickness come from? And why is the world messed up the way it is today? And why has it been messed up for the last few thousand years? And so those origin type questions will be answered today in the book of Genesis. And at the same time, God is going to shoot a beam of hope in the midst of darkness. And and just really a picture of His glory throughout all of Scripture as he closes this section in Genesis. So this morning, we're just going to look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 19. We're going to look at the origin of evil, death, suffering, and brokenness. And we're going to do so by looking at two key ideas. One is temptation, and one is condemnation. Temptation and condemnation. And then we're going to see the big picture. So let's just walk into this. There's quite a few verses, and I'm just going to give you kind of an overview, and you'll kind of be able to track along. So, fact one, we will see temptation from Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. In this section, we're going to be introduced to the tempter, and exactly how the tempter likes to target human beings, and and trick and attack us with his temptations. And so we see that in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1, the tempter... In verse 1, the first part here says, Now the serpent was more crafty than the other beasts of the field that the Lord God has made. So a few things we see here. There's a serpent, and he has the ability to be far more crafty than all the other beasts of the field. We know that the serpent is a physical manifestation of Satan himself. and So this is the devil. Um, He is the tempter. And so i got to ask some questions. What do we know about him? Um, I'll say a little bit what he's not real quickly. He's not the dude dressed in red running around with a pitchfork. Okay, that's the Halloween something. I don't know. That's not Satan. And that's not the devil. It's this dude running around in red holding a pitchfork. But that is not the, that's not Satan of the Bible. The Satan of the Bible is a fallen angel, a supernatural being, um, a spiritual being, and at, one, and at this point, in the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, we see that the Satan himself has possessed the body of a serpent pre in his pre-fallen condition. I say that in a sense that we know more about his fallen condition when God condemns him later on in chapter 3 to be on his belly for all his days. But prior to being on his belly and prior to being condemned, I believe the serpent... Had legs and maybe two, maybe four. Doesn't say, but I believe it stood up either straight up like we do, or maybe um, walked like maybe like four four legs like a, like a dog or something. But um, this is a this is <coughs> the tempter um, functioning in this way it, as a serpent with legs standing up, and we'll see that this. This tempter, Satan himself, will be talking. There is a time in Job chapter thirty-eight, verses four through seven, that before Satan fell, he was once a beautiful angel, um, <coughs> rejoicing with God. But he rejected God, himself, and God's creation, and fell into sin. With with Satan himself, there is no redemption. Christ did not die for the demons or for the devil himself so there's no redemption being held out for him like there is for human beings but to know this the satan is real okay and his main agenda since he fell out of favor he rebelled against god him and his devil i mean the devil and the demons want to do everything possible to distract and to deceive and to cause doubt amongst humans to bring other people down along with him. Also understand that Satan and, and the devil and the demons have been at this for a long time. Several thousands of years. So they're very good at what they're doing. And, and I want you to know that Satan is not an idiot. And he doesn't go around and saying, "Hey, I'm a deceiver, and I'm about to deceive you." Okay? He doesn't function in this way saying, "I'm a deceiver. I'm about to deceive you." No, he straight up wants to try to deceive you in the most deceptive way possible, and to trick you and to fool you and to cause you to doubt God's goodness, doubt God's character, doubt God's promises. And you'll see that he's going to do this to the first two people who lived on the face of the earth who represent. Well, at least Adam represents all of mankind. And so we're going to walk in the next section, verses 1 down to 5 now, and we'll see Satan's tactics and how he targets. What does he target when he goes after you? Does he target your feet to cause you to trip, or does he target somewhere else? So I want you to pay attention to that. How does he target you? Okay, so um, for all of us, this is where I want you to pay attention have your eyes wide open and your mind's thinking well so we could train you really well. I want you to discern, to use your mind, to be on alert. Because the reality is every day, including myself, we're getting fooled by Satan. He's putting doubts in our minds. And he does this over and over and over. He throws these tactics out at you to deceive you. And so it's not just Satan himself. He uses our media, our commercials, our TV, our movies, um, to send his messages. He also sends our his messages through our government, through our politics, through our judges, our court systems, with anti-God agendas and anti-biblical origin agendas, and down to our educational system um, <coughs> to set up an agenda within our educational system that is anti-God, anti-scriptural, anti- or just unbiblical. And so you'll see that as you think I want you guys to use your mind. I think one one tactic before we get into this is we're just so used to an unbiblical um, worldview. We just don't know any different because we just live in it. We're submerged in it. And so that's one of the tactics Satan uses. Is this submerges us into it so we're just used to it. We just don't know anything else. And we think it's normal. But <clears throat> let's watch and see how Satan does this to the first couple. And we'll see how it's repeated with us every single day of our lives. So check out this dialogue. Um, The first thing Satan does is sows doubt about or regarding the authority and God's truth. And so we see in verse the latter part of verse 1, Satan is speaking, and he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So... If you're familiar with chapter 2, God talked about what you can eat, and He said basically you can eat of anything in this garden, but He said there's one particular tree in the middle of the garden, and it's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this is this one tree that God has set forth that you shall not eat from. And He warns that if you do eat the, uh, from this tree that you will surely die. And so Satan... Puts out this question, did God actually say? So he's sowing some doubt. (coughs) And did he say what? Shall you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? Poses this question. So there's a few things that are going down as Satan sows doubt into Eve's what? Thinking, her mind. He's going after her thinking. And so what's happening here, um, at least I see three things happening here in this very first verse. Uh, First of all, I want to ask this question, where's Adam? Why isn't Adam on this scene? And I want to say straight off the bat, Adam's failing in his headship. We talked about that last week. He has a role to be head, to lead his family, the two of them himself. To be right with God and to lead his wife in, into truth and to protect her. Okay. And so right now, from the very beginning, Adam is not there on this scene. and This is a big deal. If I were to go on and on, there's a lot of guys, a lot of husbands that are what? Not even right with God to, to begin with. And if you're not going to be right with God, I would say you're not ready to be married or even date because... The person you marry or date, you're going to lead them straight in an anti-God direction. And so the first thing a guy can do is to be right with God and walking with God. But for Adam, I mean, there's not much there in this very early beginnings of humanity. I mean, the Tar Heels aren't playing. The pack isn't playing. There's no March Madness. Is this him and all the animals and trees and stars out there? There's no distractions. He doesn't have a cell phone. He doesn't have a computer. But... He is failing. I don't know where he is, but he's not around his wife at this moment to protect her. He's lax in his headship. He's lazy in his headship. And so we have a men's group at Ruta Church because we want to what? Raise up a group, a generation of men that will fear the Lord. I just want to put that out loud and clear. We want to raise up a, a generation of men who will fear the Lord. We have a generation of men. It's easy to look at them. (laughs) Um, Our our country, in many ways, hates God. You can just tell by the way they live. Um, They don't fear the Lord. They live life according to how they want to. They don't think about God much. They don't think about the Bible much. And so, yes, I'm nailing on biblical headship and the men right now because we need it. I need it. Um, And so... What does Satan do? He specifically targets Eve's mind, her thoughts, her system of thinking. So what <coughs> So this is what and how Satan attacks um, Eve, and he goes after her. Maybe he perceives her as the weaker link in this couple, um, the easier target. I'm not sure, but there's a reason why Satan goes after her versus him. He probably could have done the same thing to Adam, too. Um, there's a second thing I want you to see, is why is Eve talking or listening to a serpent? Okay, This is not the appropriate thing to do, to be talking to a serpent. So you, you question Eve's m- mental wherewithal why is she talking to this animal that talks a language that she is understanding <clears throat> number 3 satan satan is doing something very very unique here he's questioning what as he's interacting with Eve he's questioning what god's authority and god's word by a simple little notion and so This is probably, I believe, given the scriptures, the first time in Eve's thinking that that she ever thought, like, oh, you can discuss God's word or even debate or even bring up an idea contrary to what was said in chapter 2. And so this is all what's happening here as Satan is sowing sowing doubt into Eve's thinking. Um, Graham Goldworthy, he's an excellent theologian, and his specialty is this the gospel everywhere from Genesis to Revelation. And he says this, If God is the creator of everything, he is also the source of all truth. There is no truth apart from his truth, which he communicates to us by his word. God is the, <coughs> is the final and absolute authority. The religious question is, has great potential for evil because it casts doubt on on the authority of God's word. And so this is what he's doing, and this is what Satan is trying to do to each one of us every single day. Number two, the second thing that Satan does is Satan sows um, a distorted view of God as he interacts with Eve in this conversation. So notice Eve's response to Satan in your bibles in verse 2 the, and the woman said to the serpent now see she's talking to this serpent we and she says this notice what she says understand what her biblical view of God is she says we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden that's generally true to a certain degree. in the verse 3, But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So, as you think about Eve's thinking, is it straight biblical? Does she have solid truth in her mind and thinking? Or does she have a mixture of some truth and some jello in her thinking? There's some jello in there. And so, um, so there's a problem because there's jello in her thinking that she doesn't know how to respond well. And the sad thing is, so what she was just informed of God's Word just a chapter ago. I don't know how much time, minutes, hours have transpired from Genesis 2 to 3 or Genesis 1 to 3. But there's jello in her thinking. And we see that she's confused about God's Word because she says this statement. God, God didn't say, neither shall you touch it. He said, neither shall you eat it. There's a difference between touch and eat. And so her thinking is a little bit fuzzy and a little bit off. I guess she didn't have a quiet time that day, or she didn't have a good church to go to. I don't know. But something's wrong in her thinking. There's jello and there's cement. There's some truth and some lies in her thinking. And so that's what's happening here. And so I I believe that Satan is trying to play and manipulate Eve to think God is what? Somehow not gracious, not willing to give her every single fruit of the garden. And so she's (coughs) Satan is attacking um, Eve's heart and saying, Hey, you know, maybe you're a little dissatisfied with God. You can't eat of this one tree. Um, he's creating a sense of dissatisfaction with God, and maybe saying, "Hey, maybe if I experience evil and, from the tree of good and evil, that things would be so much better." But the reality is that God is the most generous one, and gave Eve everything she needed, and so she, <coughs> well, she's her views slightly distorted as Satan what manipulates and slips this untruth, this lie. Into what? Eve's thinking in her mind. All right? Um, I want you to know, my friends, especially college students, and anyone that watches any kind of media TV, this is happening on a daily basis, in your universities, in your school, on a constant level, even on your Disney Plus, all the time. Verse uh, th- third, third point here. Satan sows rebellious desires toward God. In verse 4, we see that Satan replies to Eve, and we see this in verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, you, sh- you will not surely die. This is not even half-truth now. Satan just throws out the lie, but it's actually appealing. I don't want to die. And so it's kind of appealing. You will, what, surely not die. But this is a straight-up lie because God said, If you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. So, Satan's trick worked, right? He opened up the mind, opened up the heart, said a lie that seems kind of positive, but the truth is that you will die. And so, we see this all taking place in this first few verses. And it goes on and says, the, the rest of Satan's deceptive package is seen here in verse 5. For God knows when you eat, of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so, yes, you will know good and evil, but you will know it experientially and personally. And you will surely die. Um, but God sets it, sets it, and says it to Eve in such a way he's trying to appeal to her what, her flesh, her sinful desires, her rebellious desires, and so. Understand, this is how Satan works, and this is how he attacks. And so it sets up these tactics lead to the ultimate tragedy. We see in verse 6, Satan sows discouragement in her relationship with God. And so she begins to not focus on God and His grace and His abundance, but she starts looking at herself and begins to have discouragement and begins to have doubt against God Himself and His goodness and the half-truths that Satan has thrown at her and the full lies that he's uh, thrown at her basically has deceived her, and we see what happens. In verse 6, um, the woman was going to transgress and rebel. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, her flesh, her appetite, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree... Was to be desired to make one wise. She took its fruit and ate. And guess what? Adam's nearby now. I don't know if he's there right next to her the whole time or he came into the picture later. I think he saw this go down and he just didn't do anything. Sadly, here. And so, and she gave some to her husband, who was what? Well, it looks like the answer's there. Who was with her and he ate. And so, he saw this, Adam saw this go down, and he participated in the sin, culpable, responsible um, for this transgression, um, more so than Eve. Why? Because he is head of this family. So, he's responsible for this headship relationship. So, um quick exhortation. So what e, e believed that she was doing the right thing, but she what acted on half truth and lies. And so she basically was deceived and she succumbed and she fell, and her husband participated as head in the same sin with her. And so we see this repeated over and over in our daily lives. We see the same thing. So some people say, you know, I could have done better than Adam and Eve. Nah, we would have all failed for sure. And for, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, we see um, this work of Satan repeated over and over. And so I just want to remind you that this is what Satan is doing on a daily basis through the world. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, For all that is in the world, the less of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but from what? This world. I want you to know, like, in your teenage life, in your 20s and 30s, there's a certain sin that's unique, and, and Satan has a way to tempt you through your eyes, through your flesh, or through the boastful pride of life. And so I just want you to be mindful that this is happening on a daily basis, and that you would just hang on and cling to God's truth, and not succumb to sin in these three areas the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. There's a theological point that I've touched on a few times here over and over, but the theological point I want you to see is the federal headship of Adam. Um, this is a very, 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 very important doctrine. Um, federal headship is a term that we don't are, um, we're not too familiar with. We don't use this that much in our modern thinking and day. But um, some of you guys may be familiar, given um, your cultural background. But it's just this basic teaching that the father is the one who represents the family and all his descendants. And so in this case, Adam is our father of every human being. Um, Even his name himself denotes and connotes the idea that Adam is head and represents all mankind. And so when Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, therefore, just as one man, referring to Adam, sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. So at this point, we understand why. What? We understand where sin came from, we understand why there's sickness and why there's death in this world. It all happened here in Genesis chapter 3 and translated. Through the idea, <laughs> this truth, because Adam was the federal head, um, we all are tainted with sin. Um, <clears throat> every generation, every person is this translated. So, what has happened here is basically Genesis chapter one: God created what Adam and Eve in the perfect image of God, and now sin entered into the world, and so this image has been shattered, and now no, no longer does hu- humans. Nor Now humans are unable to reflect um, the image of God perfectly. They, they live out a distorted image of God. And so human beings have inherited a sin nature. They're totally depraved, and they're what? Spiritually dead. And so now we see the condemnation. We see man was tempted, and now we see the condemnation that God is going to Explain and unpack for all of humanity, beginning here. Yes, I, I chose cute pictures, um, the cartoony type versus more of the human-looking pictures. But anyways, um, you'll get this. So verses seven through nineteen, we see the condemnation. Um, we're just going to walk through for this, and we'll see it every step of the way. In verse seven. So, what happened? They ate of the fruit, both Adam and Eve, and now we'll see the consequences or the condemnation here. Verse seven. Then the eyes of both the husband and wife were open, and they knew that <coughs> and that and they knew that they were naked. So, I don't know how they realize they're naked, but they realized they're naked and and what did they do? And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths, kind of like that. All right, not exactly. But what are they trying to do? Their innocence no longer exists. They are what? They're sensing guilt and they're sensing shame and they're trying to what? Cover up their sin. But is this going to work? No, all right, it won't come. This work, this merit, this effort won't cover up the fact that they're not right with God any longer. The reality is they all come short, and we all come short of God's glory. No matter no matter how much good works or good efforts that we try to do to make us feel better or make us look right before others, will atone for our sins. And so that's what they're trying to do. Almost every human being understands this experience. Not everyone. We all experience it, whether we recognize it or not. Verse 8, And then they heard the sound of the Lord, God walking in the garden of the cool, of the day and the man and his wife what hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden well they're hiding okay they're what afraid of God they knew that they did something wrong they knew that they they disobeyed and notice what God does um, God the father is not, in a rage monster situation. He doesn't come running at them with their head blowing with steam. What does God do in verse 9? But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? It doesn't say the Lord God yelled or screamed or (laughs) did rage monster, All right, No. He just asked a simple question. Where are you? He's calling out who? First, Adam, the man, why headship again he 's the one responsible in this relationship, and some I know we live in this day where women want to be strengthened and empowered, and I think I was talking to some ladies, I think even last night, like every movie it 's about women empowerment, um and all the key characters in Marvel they're all women now, and you know Bree, who 's from my hometown Sacramento, flies through the big ship and destroys it. Um, (coughs) And I don't know where I'm going with that, but I want to say that God set this up for the family so that there would be order and so that there would be protection. I know there's situations where there's divorce or the husband may abandon the wife and the church is able to come alongside, not perfectly, but to some degree. um, And hopefully we can do that well. We, We try the best we can as a church. But verse 9, God calls out to the man because he's culpable, he's responsible, and he's head in this relationship. So he calls out to him, where are you? Where are you? And so, because of the fall, men tend to go one or two directions, or both. They either are passive in their leadership or they're domineering. Okay, Domineering is very strong and harsh, or, or passive, or they do both. They're passive, 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 and then when the kid's... Are not doing what they would hope. Then they come and rule strong and domineering. Yes, I've done that before, so I know what that's like. Because I'm passive, but I'm, I'm proactively leading, and the family's kind of in tune. Then you don't have to do the domineering thing because they're chugging along with the life of the family in a healthy way. But this is the typical fallout. Sin men are either passive or domineering, or compensate when they know that they're off, or they they want to be super domineering all the time. Just like I just want to control my family with a tight fist. So that's, that's the nature of sin. The gospel reverses the curse. And the hope is that we would be humble servant leaders pointing our families to Jesus. Yes, why do we want to go to the Genesis? Why are origins important? Because what? Our nation, our families need this. And for our women, I want you to like pray for a generation of men that would lead this way, lead courageously. And I would encourage you not to date or marry a man like that. And, but if you've already married a man like this, well, you're stuck with him. And so you need to encourage him and pray with him and tell other guys to disciple him. Um, divorce is not an option unless uh, there's a few other things. But you can talk to me about that as um, the Lord wills. Yes, we still... Um, So now we see that Adam responds to what? God's calling him out in verse 10. And, And he said, I heard the sound of you. So obviously they heard in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Well, I want you to know something. Adam and Eve were created. And on that day, they didn't put on clothes. They had always been naked up to this point, right? They ran around the whole garden naked. It's no big deal up to this point. But now they perceive themselves like, I've done something wrong. And I'm sensing what? Shame, guilt. (laughs) But no one's told them that they're naked. And physically, they're dressed the way they were just moments ago. But for some reason, they believe that they were naked and they needed to hide themselves. Um, I think deep down, yes, Adam and Eve know what? They committed the worst crime before a holy God, and they know the consequences they deserve. Why? Because even though Satan said, What? You will not die, they actually do remember that they will die. And they have broken God's one little law, but one important one don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so we see in verse 11, God replies, Who told you that you are naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And so we all know the answer. Yes, that's what they did. Verse 12, Adam (coughs) responds to God in verse 12. The man said, "The woman, singular, the woman, you whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate." What is Adam doing? Blaming Eve. He's using the Eve, his wife, as the scapegoat here to blame him to to, to blame and so he doesn't want to take ownership of his own sin he's he's blaming his wife and so now God addresses Eve verse 13 then then the Lord God said to the woman what is this you have done the woman said the serpent deceived me and I ate so what is Eve doing she's blaming Eve the serpent! She's not taking responsibility either. So both of them are blame-shifting because they don't want to admit their sin fully. They actually know they're guilty. But this is what the, what the human heart does. We do one of two things. We try to cover up our sin, or what? We blame others for it. Um, we still do that today. You know, you know I, this and this happen, and I'm going to, what, cover and hide Or I'm going to blame others. And so our heart is constantly in this state of being convicted or our conscience is bothering us for a purpose. It's telling us what? We're sinful in need of a Savior, a Redeemer. Hence, what? The whole Easter and whole Christmas event from Jesus' birth all the way to His death, burial, and resurrection. But it goes before that because if you know your Bible... Something's going to happen, and it's coming very, very soon in this passage. But I want you to see this. Graham goes where he points out this insight. The fall was a giant leap upward that went horribly wrong because it simply could not succeed. Dissatisfaction with their humanness, the couple reached for godhood, In lusting after a throne that was not theirs, they lost the privileges they already had. And so that's simply what happened in these last six or seven verses. Now we're going to look at God's judgment and how he declares condemnation directly to Satan himself, Eve, and Adam in these last few verses. So Satan's judgment in verses 14 and 15, the Lord God said to the serpent very specifically and very directly, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and above all the beasts of the field. If you remember what, the serpent was more crafty than all the others, and now he's cursed above all of them. So he went from being more crafty to being cursed to above all. And then his specific consequence is this, on your belly you shall go. So I believe the serpent was more upright. And now on your belly you shall go. And dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Man, what a consequence just to be face ground your whole entire life. And so the serpent was cursed in this unique way to, to what slither on the, his belly all the days of life. If you think about snakes, they represent all that is what? Disgusting, lowly, I mean, I don't know. I think of the Raiders of Lost Ark. Lots of snakes there. Don't like them. Um, They're slimy. I don't know why people want to play with snakes. This is not the thing. All right? So that's what snakes represent. Um, And so Gransworthy um, has another insight. I appreciate him because he has all these redemptive quotes. But he says this. um, (coughs) God does not question the snake, perhaps, as one commentator suggests. So there's no questioning here. You notice he's questioning Adam and Eve? There's no questioning toward Satan. There's no dialogue. There's no trying to draw the truth out of um, Satan himself. Okay, Because as an animal, it can have no responsibility for sin. While Satan has no hope for pardon or redemption. Insightful. There's no dialogue from God to Satan. He just says straight up, you're on your face for the rest of your life. And so, on the darkest day, we went, literally went from the greatest day of creation, all the animals and <laughs> and the greatest day of man and woman being created in the image of God, we have this sad sad day where humanity falls, but in the middle and in the midst of this darkest day, we have Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. You need to underscore, underline, circle this verse, or just put it in your mind. It's one of the most important verses of all the Bible. God says this: I will put enmity between you, referring to Satan and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. And you <coughs> and he excuse me, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his head. Heal. This is some big time stuff here. Let's put the brakes on to understand what's going on here. It's a dark, dark day. God puts this major beam of light and hope in the middle of this day, and He's gonna. He just literally gave out the Proto That's literally the first gospel, the first good news in Scripture, and essentially He is saying, Hey. Adam and Eve, you're going to, I mean, Satan, Satan has an offspring and the woman will have offspring. And in the end, when it says, and he shall bruise your head. Okay. The woman referred here to is Eve and her distant seed and offspring will be Jesus. And in the end, he will crush Satan's Head and will claim ultimate victory over sin and death and Satan. There will be a time where Satan sees that it looks like his plan is coming together against Jesus when Judas betrays Jesus and Peter sells out Jesus in their way and Jesus is on the cross and I think Satan is thinking, yeah, I got Jesus! And it sure seemed like that when he was on the cross and it sure seemed like that when Jesus was in the grave. And, and yes, they say and declare this in this passage, Satan bruised his heel for that moment. But what? Three days later, Jesus came back to life, conquered sin and death. Satan's happy face went to be a sad face. He did not win. He did not conquer. And he did not achieve what he thought he did against Satan. But... In fact, we know at the end, in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, we see where Satan (coughs) is judged and sent to hell forever. The seed of Eve is triumph. And this is what we're celebrating, what? Next week. So I encourage you to invite your friends to the park next Saturday and to here next Saturday because what? They'll hear not just good news, the best news ever, (laughs) right? The best news ever. I don't know what you guys think about as good news. Like, I got into this college, yay, you know, my president won and beat the other president, yay, sort of, or, you know, I don't know, we got the vaccine, yay, but this doesn't compare to any kind of good news in relationship, what? To the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the best news ever. And we should be extremely excited and we should flood our social media and everyone in our email accounts about this good amazing news and not be ashamed of the gospel because it is what? The good news that Christ died for your sin and mine. There is nothing worse than to be called a sinner. You can call people an adulterer um, one with COVID, I mean, we treat people back with COVID like, man, you're the plague. These, you Get away from me. I'm going to leave and quarantine myself. I mean, being a sinner is far more terminal, far more terrible than having AIDS or some other STD. It's worse because the consequence is far worse. But we have the care, and it is what Christ finished work On the cross. And we have the proof. His resurrection on Easter Sunday, my friends. So, I'm highlighting the good news. I hope you understand it. And that's why we want to flood our emails, our social media, and pass every flyer out. Not just to have a party. Not just to eat well. But that people would hear the good news. It doesn't get better than that, my friends. Ease. What's her consequences? Well, Some of the ladies in the church will experience it pretty soon, and they'll know the reality that this truth is biblical in verse 16. And to the women he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. But the cool thing is most moms forget this, and they have more babies later on, so that's a cool thing. I'm glad for that. But Satan also goes that your desire should be for your husband, and you shall rule over your husband. So I said the fallout of husbands tend to be what? Domineering and passing. This is basically saying that women in your fallen state will be, try, will, be try, will be to try to control and manipulate your husband. That is the fallout. And so with the grace of God, with God working your life, you fight against that probably on a daily basis, maybe more than that, moment by moment basis. Um, <clears throat> to overcome and to fight this tendency from the fall of man. Lastly, man and woman, to reverse the curse in your life. For Adam, we're almost done. Verse 17, 18, and 19. Um, And to Adam, he said, God said, and speaks directly to Adam. And guys, we experience this every day, this fallout. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and you have eaten of the tree in which I commanded you, you (laughs) commanded you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the fields. And here's the big thing, guys, we experience. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. In other words, you'll labor, and I will labor, and will work. It used to be a time where every food, every meal came to Adam with no effort. Because right? there's no fall. But now, guys, we work. And we work our whole entire life. Some people do it better than others. I get it. But basically, we work. Um, and that's part of the curse. Verse 19, the last part. Until when? You work, 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 work. Until you return to the ground. For out of it, you are taken. And for, <coughs> and <coughs> for you are dust. And to dust, you shall return. So full circle comes for our own life. We're made out of dust and one day we will be dust again. Maybe a quick footnote. Some people are begging this question, is it does it matter if you're cremated or buried with a whole body? Some theologians say, hey, you should be buried with a whole body. My take is actually cremation is okay. It's just speeding up the process in which you're gonna end up anyways. A bunch of dust, or you could just preserve your body as you go in the ground. But I think in the end, it doesn't matter. God will give us a brand new body. Um, Let's close with a couple pictures. This is going a little long, but I want you to leave this. You with this next diagram. This is biblical counseling. Right. This picture is biblical counseling. In Eve's life, there was heat. There's this temptation. That's the sun. That's her situation. In your life, you face a lot of different heat. Things aren't going away. I'm stressed. I'm whatever. So that's the heat of a situation. And so when there's heat in your life, you can respond of one of two ways. Um, <clears throat> if you have wrong thoughts and your, your, your thoughts are made out of jello, you're going to not have the truth of God activated in your life, and you're going to respond sinfully. Disobediently, and you're gonna what? Bear bad fruit. But guess what? If you're alive in Christ and Jesus is working in life, and the truth of God's in your mind, and that's why we encourage you to come to church, to go to growth group, and to read your Bible daily. If the truth of God's in your mind, that's half the battle, then you have to use this truth in your mind and respond biblically to God's lordship, to in submission to God Himself, in obedience, and guess what? You bear Good fruit. And that's God working in your life. And the more you do that, what? The more you bear good fruit. Guess what? The less you do that, the more you bear bad fruit. That's why you experience consequences. That's why you have the things you're challenged with and suffering. And so, so this is basically biblical counseling in a nutshell. Christ working in you or Christ not working in you and how you respond or don't respond. Um, appropriately before God. And so that's sanctification, my friends. Um, maybe the last thing I'll ask you a little bit with sanctification, are there fig leaves that you have in your life that you're using to justify your, and cover up your sin? Identify those things. Let's talk about those things. Um, we need to deal with the fig leaves um, in our lives and repent of our self-justification, our functional savers in our life, and actually go to the Savior himself Jesus Christ, to fight our sins on a daily basis. But before that can happen, you need to recognize that you're spiritually bankrupt in need of a Savior, in need of one who accomplished the perfect work on the cross. And by trusting in Him and Him alone, this perfect status and merit would be transacted to you, to your bankrupt ledger, and make you right with God Himself.